Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Happy Friday. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe back with you for another edition of our show, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. right here on Sports Grid. It is FST at Craig Mish on Twitter at Joe Pisa Pia 17 and of course at Sports Grid. That's how you get us. we got a lot to cover here on the show. Some odds from the FanDuel and DraftKings Sportsbook about the NFL. we got to preview the big NASCAR race coming up this weekend. And of course, every Friday, Gray Albright joins us on the show. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Joe, ready for a... Uh, a big weekend of house painting? What you got going on? No, no, no. I've, everything's done. All of that is done. The pool is open. The furniture is put together. It was four hours of my life. I'll never get back, but uh, we're, we're ready to enjoy the summer now. Trying to get everything done by Father's Day so I can enjoy all that. And uh, I want to send a special shout out and a thank you to all the folks who have already purchased the, the Fantasy Football Black Book 2020 on Amazon because this was a whole new thing. Never seen this before. We are the number one new release in all of football books, not fantasy sports books, football books on Amazon. We're ahead of James Conner's new book uh, this week, so that's crazy. So I just want to thank everybody out there who's already purchased the book and said uh, such lovely things about it. Uh, Craig's Purple Book, I'm not sure where it's on that ranking, but the Black Book is number one in case you wanted to uh, you know, keep a little side list. Yeah, we are uh, we're, we're above one. You know, we, we just have we, – we don't even want our rankings up there. <laughs> we, we, we like to keep it really down low. We don't, well, we don't like to put it out there. It's funny because August is usually when we hit that peak where we're number one in football books. I've never seen a June number one, especially for new releases like that when it came out. So that's uh, that's just crazy. And I just, like I said, I want to say thank you to everybody out there because we're an independent publication. Uh, just a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that go behind that. So I just want to thank all my people out there. I appreciate you. And uh, keep them coming. If you haven't tried the Black Book yet, go give it a shot, man. Get get your football prep on. It's, it, the weather's getting better. You go outside. You, you know, kick your feet up on the hammock and you read a little football Black Book. Life is, uh, life is good. Get a little brew or a whiskey or something like that along with it. Maybe a little cigar. And that's how you, that's how you prepare for football season. All right. So uh, on that note, we'll uh, actually talk. I'll uh, start off with a little bit of football today, but not on the NFL side. A really uh, strange story coming out of college football, and I wonder if there is some sort of precedent set. And we'll, um, you know, kind of follow this and follow it along because it could change the way that we view players who have declared early for college football uh, from college football to the NFL. Michael Turk, and if the name sounds familiar, he is the nephew of the former player who played in the NFL that was a punter, uh, essentially was given back his uh, last two years of eligibility. He's going to head back now to play at Arizona State after declaring for the NFL draft, not being drafted, and then uh, the basically, you know, just threw a dart and decided, hey, you know, maybe they'll reinstate me by some miracle. Now, I am guessing that any of this discussion, first of all, has probably been because something pandemic related, he wasn't able to work out or, or it's, it has to be something along those lines. We still don't know all the information yet. Uh, and so it may just be a situation where keep into to see why it ended up happening. But it does sort of open up a Pandora's box because there are going to be a lot of other kids who thought that they would be drafted, who declared for the draft, who hired an agent like Turk did. And now he's got his two years back. So we'll see what happens in the future. Although I will speculate at this point that I'm guessing it had something to do with COVID. Yeah, it seems like a lot of reactions, a lot of things we haven't seen before are going to be because of COVID. Uh, you know, do you think that they were wrong for doing this in any way? Or do you think this is the right call by the NCAA to allow this to happen? Well, I mean, I didn't read his appeal, but I mean, I'm guessing that part of it is probably stating that he, that I've, and, and I'm, you know, just kind of, you know, reading it through and saw the right. story earlier today is that because he's unable to punt and unable to get in front of someone to show how high he can punt it or how long he could punt it, I'm guessing, this is just me speculating, that maybe it's a little bit different situation for somebody like him as opposed to a running back that played for Ohio State or a quarterback that ended up playing for LSU. It's a completely different situation. All those games are televised. It's easy to get the film, although pretty easy to get the film on a kid from Arizona State, I would say, also. So, uh, you know, don't know. Don't know the answer to that. But I would say that if I was other uh, kids who didn't get drafted, and I don't know how many there are, I'm guessing there's not thousands, but maybe 50 or 100, 
and they decided they wanted an extra year of eligibility after having this happen. Take your mulligan. That'd be my well, what, what is wrong? I mean, generally speaking, I understand like when you hire the agent, you hire the agent. And I understand that schools have to then look to recruit to replace the kids. But I always felt like what happens to these people who hire agents, you know, don't get assigned by NFL teams. You know, they lose the ability to go back and play college football. That seems like kind of a bummer. Like, I, I don't know if, if you don't get signed, if you don't get drafted. I don't understand why a kid who's got a year of eligibility who wants to finish school and play football at the same time can't go back and do that. I never understood why that was uh, a negative or, or not allowed. Is it just because of the fear of, well, once you hire the agent, then you're considered professional? Is that it? And you can't go backwards once you go forward with that? And that's that's a big part of it. Another part of it, too, is that the NFL is uh, is a big business mm-hmm. and part of the big business is money. And the right. NFL are are paying their scouts and their employees to work on certain players and they want to know whether or not this player is going to be eligible for the draft or not, and they simply don't want to waste people's time if not. So I think in this particular case, if you decide that you want to come out and you do get an agent um, and, and someone has scouted you, at that point, you know, the NFL team has paid that scout to uh, scout mm-hmm. that player, and then he decides that he wants to go back, well, he's got to be probably rescouted again on his senior year, so it's just paying them again. Now, look, it's not something that I would think is – is backbreaking as far as franchises are concerned, but uh, you know they've had these rules for a long time, and and I think that the agent has really been the crossover for it. But they also don't want everybody declaring, and then having you know it, it forces all these NFL teams. You only have a set right. amount of scouts; they can only see a certain amount of players. Well, if everybody was able to declare, you'd be sending these scouts all over the place. It would cost NFL teams more money, and again, the NFL is running the show. Right, so. and then with baseball, though, it's kind of odd because you got the high school kids who sometimes you know don't like where they get drafted and they decide, oh, you know what, I've committed to college. I'm going to go to college instead. And, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a weird thing. Like the baseball player gets to choose whether or not that's enough money and a good enough draft slot for them to go play professional, you know, sports and have the alternative to then go on to college. But the college football player, you know, once he declares, that's it, you're basically, it's over. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's a weird position to be in. I know it's not a huge overlap, but still, it just seems like if you don't get drafted and you have a year of eligibility left and the, and the school could use you and you're useful to the team that, you know, you're still a student last time I checked, even though you might, you it know, seem, you might it seems, it seems reasonable, but you know, they, they, you know, clearly have their reasons yeah. Uh, yeah. against it. And, 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 you know, collegiate athletes, once they're paid, um, you know, that that pretty much ends the discussion. But look, they could be loosening up a little bit. They're changing the rules in college uh, to allow players to get paid. Maybe that has something to do with it, too. But it's something mm-hmm. to keep an eye on if it's uh, not just this kid or potentially some others. So we'll follow. We'll see. We'll see if some others do. But, in, I, you know, ironically, there will always be some kids who don't get drafted, who become superstars in the league. That happens all the time. But there aren't a lot. So, you know, it really wouldn't affect a lot of kids if they were able to, to go back and make themselves better for the following year. Uh, the NBA is in. They've approved their plan yesterday. It was reported by 29 to 1. A lot of people speculated uh, what team that would be. I guess the Trailblazers uh, did not approve the deal. I have no idea why. Uh, but they're opening up training camp basically in a month. The season's going to begin on July 31st. It's going to go through uh, October the 12th. So we got those dates set now. The lottery is going to be in August on the 25th. And the draft will be in the middle of October. Free agency starts shortly after that. And their goal is pretty quickly to get a season together, uh, having training camp on November the 10th, so just a few weeks off. And then uh, opening tip-off would be December the 1st. So clearly uh, that could affect the following season. But from everything that I saw and read yesterday, they don't think so. They're still going to try to get 82 games in the following year. And instead of going through the month of June, they'll just go right through July. So good for the NBA. It seems like they got it figured out. Yeah, what's wrong with the Trailblazers? What are they, the one team that didn't vote for Derek Jeter for the Hall of Fame, too? I mean, what the hell? I have no idea. Why can't we all get on board here? (laughs) What was the deal? What's the deal with the Trailblazers? I don't understand. I I mean, you you have the NBA on it, the Players Union. Everyone's like, okay, let's go forward. And it's like, nope, you know what? We here in Portland do not want to play basketball. I mean, I don't know what the reasoning is. There's no press release attached to the why, the no vote. It just seems like, come on, man, like we're all on board here. Let's give it the old college try, so to speak. I, that's, I'm very glad about this. I'm just shocked that there is an organization that voted no. I mean, I guess it can only be from a public health standpoint that they just felt like it's just not the right thing to do. But I don't know, man. I mean, it's not like, well, it's like 24 of the teams voted yes. And then, no, all of them but one. It's very strange, Craig. Very strange. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know the reasoning behind it. Uh, but what I do know is that at the very least, that we'll have sports back and circle that date. Uh, we do have sports back now. I take it back. We've got NASCAR back, 
and if and the and the KBO, there are things going on. I don't want to disregard those, but in terms of some of the major sporting events, I would say, and NASCAR is major too. So I don't even know how to put it, but at least we know that basketball will begin on July 31st. The other thing that it may happen is, uh, and the odds uh, have been significantly changed, and the biggest odds change across the board on all the sports books has actually been surprisingly the uh, New Jersey Nets. And the reason why for that is that it looks like Kevin Durant is going to be able to come back and play for mm. the Nets now. Whether or not they are a title contender still remains to be seen. They're going basically from 150 and one to 60 to one. So uh, that made you know sort of news yesterday. And look, Durant is a generational player. As soon as he's done, he's headed right to the Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't think that him playing, not playing at all, excuse me, for almost a year, I think over a year, in fact, and then all of a sudden just showing up and playing for the Nets is going to get them to a championship. But the odds were adjusted significantly on FanDuel and DraftKings. As they should be. It's it's. I can't believe when I saw this uh, yesterday because uh, when we were talking about the odds and some of the teams, I actually wanted to ask that question. Do you think Durant comes back and plays, you know, now since he's going to be, you know, a certain step in his recovery and all these things? And I just, I was like, ah, that's probably a stupid question. I shouldn't even ask that on air of you. And uh, look, here we are, a day later, and <laughs> he's there. And look, it's good for the NBA. Anytime you get another star back, it's good. Um, rooting for those Brooklyn Nets to be good next year, too. But maybe they get a little jump. Maybe they make a little run. I don't know how, you know, <laughs> I don't know how stale he is from, from not playing for a while. But then again, nobody's played for a while. So it's kind of like an even keel thing. So uh, I'm certainly rooting for him to uh, have good health and play. And we'll see how much. Uh, he can give the uh, the Brooklyn Nets here uh, in this little uh, potential playoff run. So uh, it's good news. Good news for the NBA. You always want all your stars in the court, no matter where that court may be, even if that court happens to be in Disney World. Did I say New Jersey, by the way, at all in that segment? Uh, I don't know. But if you did, I forgive you. I'm, oh, I'm yeah, afraid I'm, I, I'm, I, I was trying think to think. As as I was thinking, I was thinking, did I call you? Did the, say the Oakland Jersey? Raiders the other day, and and that's a tough one too. We're yeah, that, that one I'm still a, that mistake I can live with for now. Until yeah. they play their first game in Vegas, I can live with it. Then I got to change. Hey, but every now and then I still say San Diego Chargers. So every now and then I've done that one too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, coming up next, it's time for us to dive into this day in fantasy sports and our fantasy sports birthdays. Uh, also, don't forget that uh, later on the show we got some great programming for you right here on sports grid just keep it here all weekend long uh but joe and i'll be back saturday morning and sunday night for our weekend edition of the show and it is called fantasy sports today weekend edition i know it's like a groundbreaking name for a show so make sure you catch it saturday and sunday as we go over everything coming up a little bit later in the show we'll preview the nascar race we got Gray Albright coming up on the weekend show we'll have john lobb talking college football so our show rolls on through the weekend Make sure you stay tuned. But coming up next, birthdays and this day in sports. Lots of French Open, of course, this time of the year. And some baseball as well. We're right back here on FST. Joe Pizapia, Craig Mish. Don't go away. Back in two minutes. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. And welcome back. It's June 5th, 2020. It's time for a little This Day in Fantasy Sports History and also This Day in Sports. As we close in, uh, we started off the month of June here, and I know we have a big month of birthdays ahead of us. The problem for me here in South Florida is that June is typically a very rainy and hot month, and that is exactly what we've experienced here as the country starts to open uh, back up. The weather starts to get worse for us here in Florida, which is a bummer. Yeah, I always thought that August was the awful weather month. Isn't that when it gets unbearably hot and it June, rains? July, every... August, September. So August. basically everything. It's it's, it's just eight it's just months bad. of the year. It's amazing, and four <laughs> months it's awful. June, July, <laughs> August, and September. Those are the four months. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, I mean, I was in last year. We were in uh, at Universal uh, down in Florida. We went in. Uh, I guess it was the very end of April, beginning of May, and it was glorious. Yeah, it was beautiful, it's... hot, but it was not unbearable. But it was certainly hot enough to go in the pool in the afternoon. It was lovely. Uh, but, yeah, I, I can imagine. I, you know, it's the humidity, Craig. It's not the heat. 
They always say it's the humidity, but then again, I talked to my cousin who lives in Arizona when it's 120. He tells me, believe me, it's the heat, man. It's the heat, bro. Like, you don't want to be outside when it's 120 degrees. I don't care how dry it is. So I'm just, I'm happy to get a little bit of summer here for like, I don't know, three or four days in New Jersey. It's nice. You'll get it. It's coming up soon. <laughs> for sure. All right. Uh, this day in fantasy sports history for June 5th in our past. We start off in 1981. Nolan Ryan becomes the all-time walks leader, 1,777. And, of course, I mean, this was in 1981. How's that possible? This guy played another 10 years. So he had a lot more walks, over 2,000. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I saw an interview with Nolan Ryan. I think I mentioned this last week or the week before, where they asked him about all the accolades that he's accomplished and all the most strikeouts. And his response is, well, some people don't like me because I walk too many guys, too. But... Uh, kind of funny that he has both of those monikers, but I've always heard that in order to throw a no-hitter, you kind of have to not know where the ball is going sometimes, and I mm. think that that was definitely the case with Nolan Ryan. He just threw it as hard as he can and hoped it went over the plate. Yeah, the Ryan Express was effectively wild, but uh, effective nonetheless. And this is the knock on him, is the high walk totals and the low win totals. You can't really hang all the win totals on him because he played on some bad California Angels teams, and uh, it wasn't until he got over to Houston where played on some better teams and some stretches there in the 80s there, especially from about 81 to about 86. That team was pretty competitive. Uh, but, yeah, that, I mean, that's the knock on Nolan Ryan. I mean, some people don't like that. They like the different style pitcher. I like the power pitcher, and sometimes the power pitcher is not perfect. But you know what? When he's on, it's good television, and it's fun to watch. And he was just a tough, intimidating guy. Yeah, I remember, you know, seeing those clips of Nolan Ryan working out, too, throwing the football. He used to be – really big on throwing the football when he was warming up and thing like that. And then he would get to throw in the baseball. He said he liked to hold the bigger ball. And if the baseball felt smaller in his hand and he had all these other things like putting his, uh, his fingers in the pickle juice. So his hands wouldn't blister. He had a lot of uh, quirks and weird things. Uh, but Nolan Ryan was a tough old Texan and Nolan Ryan, I would put out there in a big game. He unfortunately, you know, like I said, it's uh, the walks were high, some other stats, eh, but you know what? That's a really long productive career. So give me Nolan Ryan any day of the week. All right, 1982, Martina Navratilova. She wins her first French Open in 1982. And this is the time of the year where we would have had the French Open, unfortunately. We. Waking up uh, really early in the morning. And yes, we, not having it. Uh, <laughs> 2005, let's skip ahead 13 years. Rafael Nadal, probably the best uh, French Open clay court player in the history of tennis, wins his first, I believe he has five uh, French Open championships, uh, at least. I believe and like every day this week is a Rafael Nadal wins a French Open. I'm pretty sure. Like we had that almost every day. <laughs> Just leave it in the show sheet all week. <laughs> that and I think the Belmont. No, we could talk Belmont. about we could talk about Rafael Nadal. I don't know if we want to talk about the Belmont that much. All right, 2014, the Houston Astros. They had the first pick in the draft for many years, losing 100 games, 110 games, 120 games. But wow, they made a bad pick. How about that? 2014. They select Brady Aiken first overall. There were some issues with injuries and, and uh, you know, grievances with him as well. They didn't, you know, want to even have him after they took him. They didn't, I guess that there was a part, something with, with injury where they didn't know. But uh, in the last 10, 15 years, I'm, I'm guessing this was, I mean, I don't know if it's fair, it's fair to say the biggest bust, I guess. It's got to be. Certainly one of them. Uh, Brady Aiken, I was just kind of looking to see how many, you know, how many innings he even throw in the professional level. I don't remember uh, any. He threw well. He threw 132, and um, let's just say the ERA total was 518. So not exactly what you want to go. Yeah, Mark Appel was uh, no great selection either. Luckily, Carlos Correa was also in this mix in those three years that they had this pick three years in a row. But uh, man, yeah, he never got higher than A ball. He pitched in rookie ball, low A rookie ball, and then A ball again. And uh, yeah, there was a stretch there from 2017. And he didn't pitch again until 2019, unfortunately. And uh, he came back for two games in 2019, and that was it. So uh, it's 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 always sad when you see somebody who's taken anywhere high in a draft that you have high expectations for, and him not even get to the major leagues. I'm sure you know for him it was a major disappointment. I'm sure for the Astros it was a major disappointment. And we've talked a lot about drafts and a lot about draft steals, and I know we're going to talk more about that later, but. You know, it's just not an exact science, unfortunately. And that's the thing we keep coming back to. Everybody's got the entire board. And how many Hall of Famers have we talked about who went in the second round where every team passed on George Brett, Mike Schmidt, and all these guys. And then every team passed multiple times on so many enormous talents. And I understand there's economics involved. I understand there's talent pools in your organization that's involved and different scouts who are looking for different things. 
But when you have the number one overall pick, you just take BPA, baby. You just take the best player on the board, and especially in baseball. And pitchers, you know, typically are riskier selections there. I think if you're going to look for a model, you look for that Chicago Cubs model where you build an organization around position players and uh, you use those top picks for position players and then find pitchers at the major league level later on or make trades for them. All right. And finally, we'll cap it off with this day in history. The first ever switch pitcher in uh, Major League Baseball made it to the big leagues. Pat Venditti, originally who came up with the Yankees and has pitched with several teams. And right now he's uh, a member of the Miami Marlins, as a matter of fact, Uh, becomes the first switch pitcher ever. And it's a really cool thing to see. It's his glove is super interesting. I saw it in spring training as well. Uh, Pat Venditti, to me, is is accomplishing or and has accomplished a, a pretty significant feat. I think that doesn't get talked about enough. Like, I mean, we can't even write with our left hand or write with our right hand, depending on if you're lefty or righty. I mean, switch hitting is like a lost art in baseball as it is. And this guy is throwing from both sides. I mean, he's not great. I mean, Pat Venditti's not a great pitcher. But he becomes more valuable, especially in a season like this coming up, where you have to face three batters. He can just go lefty, he can go righty, either way. And I would think that there's some value in that in baseball. I think it's fascinating. I also think it's very strange how awkward we all are throwing with our non-dominant hand. I mean, think about it. Like, all day long, you know, I hold the drink, I hold a cup, I hold these different things, I hold a, a phone in my hand, the other phone. I can, you know, you use your hands all day. Sure. But why is it like I can throw a, you know, I can throw a ball perfectly fine, I, I switch the ball to the other hand, and I look like there's something wrong with me. Like, I like I was put together in a lab incorrectly, where the someone lost the instructions, and I can't throw the ball forward barely. I don't know what that is about our brains and how we're wired, but it, it is hysterical in the fact that this guy can not only do it, but doing it at a major league pitching level is stunning, and you're right. It should be more of a, a story than it is, and uh, it's, it is so incredible. And I wonder if that's just something that he taught himself over time or if he's just an incredibly you know, gifted mental person because I feel like it's not a physical thing almost. It's like a mental connection. It's, ama- it's amazing, and his glove is basically a two-sided glove. It's, uh, I've seen the glove. It's, it's cool. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating and good guy. Really nice guy as well. All right, uh, this day in fantasy sports birthdays for June the 5th, we start off with the owner of the New England Patriots, Robert Kraft. Of course, many championships won with New England, no question about that. Uh, Bob Probert in sort of a yeah. uh, unfortunate era that he played in uh, post, uh, you know, right before Tony Russa, right around the time La Russa came in, Langford was really good, but the team wasn't really good, and, and he certainly was a really good player. Uh, Marquise Colston. Uh, they no longer have a football team at Hofstra, but he could be the best player to ever play at Hofstra. He and Wayne Corbett were the two wide receivers that came out sort of back-to-back there, and Colston went on to have a great career with Drew Brees, and we'll talk about Colston nearly as much. And then uh, Sam Darnold in the New York Jets. Happy birthday to Sam Darnold, born in 1995. Unfortunately for Joe Pizzapia, he cannot bet the under on uh, Sam Darnold's birthday. Because, yeah, I mean, he has <laughs> I to have a birthday. I would. Yeah, you if can't I could, I would. Uh, he can have a birthday in Robert Kraft, I'm sure. Maybe he'll get a massage on his birthday, and that'd be nice. And uh, look, it's uh, Ray Langford is one of those guys, too. You're right. He did kind of get lost in the shuffle of those eras. I remember him, Bernard Gilkey, there's a couple guys on those Cardinal teams that were really good players. They kind of came through there when La Russa kind of stepped into the role after his time with uh, the Oakland A's, obviously. And Probert, uh, you know, I didn't see play, but I remember stories from my cousins who were big hockey fans of the kind of enforcer that he was on the defensive line uh, in the hockey line. So uh, some really good ones here. And and Ray Langford was, you know, go back to him. That was, I liked Ray Langford. I liked watching him play. That was a guy, like, I was excited to get a Ray Langford baseball card in the pack because I looked at him as one of these really, like, just smooth athletes. And I know the guy could hit for power. He could run. He could field. You know, he's a five-tool kind of guy. And I, I love those kind of guys. And it seems like we don't have as many of those guys nowadays. And I know the game is different now, but... Uh, yeah, I always had a lot of fondness for Ray Langford. I'm trying to remember where else he played because it wasn't just the Cardinals, right? Do you recall where else Ray Langford ended up after? I'm going to guess the Giants, but I'm not 100% on that one. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I, I just remember there was definitely more than one spot there for him. Uh, and I couldn't remember where it was. Uh, Marquise Colston, too. You know, some very good years there with the Saints. You know, those first couple 5,000-yard seasons that Drew Brees had. Marquise Colson was a big part of that. The rest of them were uh, questionable. Some of the other receivers that he worked with. Uh, ah, you were close. San Diego. That was the other spot there Indeed. for Ray Langford. San Diego Padres for a couple of years. But, man, he played for the Cardinals from 1990 
to 2000. So a 10 year run with the Cardinals. Yeah, I think he's in the Cardinals Hall of Fame. I'm pretty sure. Is he really? Wow. Pretty sure he is. Yeah. Hey, you know, a pretty in 840 career OPS, not too shabby. I would say that. Not too shabby for Mr. Langford. He had a couple years where he stole 40 bases. He had a couple years where he hit 30 home runs, a couple years where he drove in more than 90. That's a really good player, but again, when you're in the in the mid 90s in your prime and you see what's going on there in the boom of the home runs and you know, he does kind of get forgotten, which is Kind of sad. I'm glad we're talking about Ray Lang for today. Well, I'm sure the yeah, Cardinal there, fans are too. There, there was that like sort of transition uh, toward the end of Whitey Herzog into uh, Tony Larusa, and there was a Joe Torre in the middle there, and it was oh, sort of the end of, of right. Torre was there too. You're right. Uh, uh, Walt Jockety was kind of on the way out, and uh, you know Mosellac was on the way in. There was like this transition, a three or four year period where they had to you know, sort of redo things, and that's what the Cardinals did, the Cardinal way, as they would say. All right, coming up next, the greatest dra uh, draft values in baseball history. We've got the draft coming up next Wednesday, and, of course, we'll have the latest on that uh, coming up early next week. We'll make sure we cover that for you. In addition to that, big NASCAR race in Atlanta coming up this Sunday. Matt Sells joins us from Fantasy Alarm to break it all down. He's got a couple of favorites and a couple of long shots that you can – Head on over to the FanDuel Sportsbook and check out, and he'll be on with us here on the show. Uh, also, a little bit later in the program, Gray Albright of Rasball.com will give our final. We we think next week we'll have a resolution of some kind, but we thought we've had we'd have one for the last five weeks. But uh, we'll we'll have our final predictions as to how long the baseball season is going to be. We'll do that on this show as well. We'll be right back on Fantasy Sports today in just two minutes. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Hey, welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today, the baseball draft coming up next Wednesday night. We're going to do a whole draft live show right here on SportsGrid. No, I'm just kidding. We only do that for the NFL. But there is a big draft coming up next Wednesday night. Uh, from my perspective, it's really big, of course, because the Miami Marlins have the third pick overall. So uh, potentially they'll be getting a really good player next week, as will a couple of others. And I have a feeling really the first five picks in the draft are going to be sort of generational game changer type players. And you know, one or two won't work out. That's just the nature of the draft for sure. But it's only five rounds, and some of the greatest players uh, that got drafted in the history of the game didn't get drafted in the first few rounds, and they ended up becoming either Hall of Famers or close to We're going to go 15 and up today, and we're going to start with uh, a fantastic player. I know one of my favorites, one of yours as well, Kenny Lofton, who was drafted by who? The Astros yeah, in 1988. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people forget that. Uh, we were just talking before the segment here with Brett Levy, uh, our pristine producer here. He was talking about how Arizona State basketball player Kenny Lofton, pretty good. Uh, but he has a 372 career OBP, ranks 15th all-time in stolen bases with 622. He was a miraculous defender. I always think of him as an Indian. I know some people think of him as, as a brave. I'm going to put a little challenge if you're up for it. Are you, are you up for a challenge there, uh, Mr. Sure. Bish? All right, can you name all 11 teams, 11 teams that Kenny Jeez. Lofton has played for in the major leagues? Wow, that's a lot. We've already uh, got three because we've already discussed Houston, her. Cleveland, and, and Atlanta, right? That is that is three, correct. Okay, he played on the Yankees. That is correct, that is four. Uh, he played on the White Sox. That is correct, that is five. Oh, he's so good, ladies and gentlemen. Craig Mish, he's halfway home. The Dodgers. The Dodgers is correct. That is six. Uh, the stars okay. are bright. Deep uh, in the heart of. Yeah. The Rangers. Correct. Texas. There you go. These up to seven, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> uh, hold on. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, let's see here. Uh, you, uh, there, there's one town he played. So for how, both many, how many, wait, how many am I, how many am I? You're at seven right now. There's one town where he played for both teams. Oakland and San Francisco. No. Uh, no. San Francisco, yes. Oakland, no. So that's eight. I will give you eight. Okay. 
there's wow. there's three more uh, that you need. And like I said, the big hint is it's a city with two teams. Uh, the Cubs. Correct. Yes. There you go. Yes. So that's up to nine. And you said the White Sox already, correct? Yeah, I already so you got that, that one. Yeah. So there are two more, and I'll give you a hint. They both start with the letter P. Can he name them? The Can Phillies and Pirates? The Phillies and Pirates, ladies and gentlemen. Tell him what he's won. Honestly, I would have, I would have, without help, I would not have gotten. He played 84 I games for the Pirates in 2003. I am impressed. I mean, I did give you a lot of hints. Uh, 2003, the Pittsburgh Pirates, 84 games for Mr. Kenny Lofton. And uh, the, the Philadelphia Phillies, I do not remember this at all. 2005, 110 games. The, the Pirates, I kind of remembered. The Phillies won, total blur for me. I don't remember that at all. But an incredible player drafted the 17th round. Also in the 17th round, honorable mentions, 1979, Oral Hershiser and Ian Kinsler, who had a pretty darn good career, too. He's got a 55.5 career war. That's no slouch. There's some guys in the Hall of Fame with less wars than that. Uh, round 18, Mike Cameron of the White Sox. Uh, a really good center fielder, a really good player. Had some time with the Mariners, with the Mets as well. He's one of only 16 players to collect at least 275 home runs and 275 steals. So that's kind of an elite little group there. Uh, he also uh, got double digits in both categories for 10 straight years. So in fantasy leagues, Mike Cameron was giving you some stats and filling up the box score, and I like that about him. So pretty good. Honorable mentions in round 18, Ken Forsh. Uh, was drafted by the Astros. A lot of people remember him probably more as a Cardinal, I would imagine. And of course, Lyle Overbay. <laughs> I just love saying Lyle Overbay. It's just a fun name. But Mike Cameron was a really good player for a very long time. Yes, uh, Mike Cameron hit four home runs in one game. That's right. That was, that was really the the magical part of his career, and a player that probably wouldn't be be really uh, looked at as playing right now. You know, that's that's the shame of you know kind of where the game is. Really, even, even though, though he even, was so stunningly defensive, and you know, great I mean, defensive he, player, but you know, a lot of strikeouts and true. you know, you know, and and not a lot of walks, and so that's that's something that's kind of frowned upon now. And in terms of Forsh, I think Bob Forsh is probably more thought of as a Cardinal. Oh, I, I hate it when I cross my Forshes. You're absolutely right. I, I always get my Forshes confused. It's uh, my apologies to all the Forshes and all the little Forshes and older Forshes. Uh, let's do round 19 here. Uh, the best one I could find was Brett Saberhagen of the Royals in 1982. He went on to win not one but two Cy Young Awards, uh, and he won a World Series MVP. Before, of course, he went to the Mets and his career fell apart because that's what happens when you go to the Mets. Uh, but not bad, round 19, but some other guys in there, too. How about Don Mattingly as well? Uh, so Mattingly, Saberhagen, round 19, two guys that were in the 80s, kind of like the iconic guys in their franchise, basically. Sure. And to think that, again, you had to wait till the 19th round to get that kind of talent, and we're not even going to come close to that this year in terms of getting that deep into a draft. So Donnie Baseball, it's kind of stunning to me that he wait, <laughs> he lasted that long. I mean, uh, I mean, Donnie Baseball looked about as easy as a hitter as you could possibly find. What do you think kept scouts off of him? Well, that's a great question because, honestly, I mean, look, you, you look back on the career now and you say he's not a Hall of Famer, and, of course, that's all accurate, but it was all because of injuries with him. And sure. so, I mean, you're, you would have been taught. I mean, if Mattingly ends up playing five more years, he's 100% a Hall of Famer. He probably will end up in the Hall of Fame eventually. And you're talking about one of the greatest hitters of all time at that point. So... Yeah, I mean that's just a completely and a great defensive mis- first baseman. Like that's the thing. But, I don't but get. eighteen rounds of thirty teams missing on the guy, you know. So, so who do you blame? I don't know. Well, how about uh, how about twenty rounds of everybody missing on Ryan Sandberg? In nineteen seventy eight, the Phillies drafted him. Obviously, he did get traded later on for Larry Boa to the Cubs and became Mister Cub for quite some time. Uh, and look, NL MVP honors in nineteen eighty four. 10 straight All-Star games, and he's not the only second baseman taken in the 20th round. How about Jeff Kent, too? So not one, but two. And I'm going to say Hall of Famer because Jeff Kent's a Hall of Famer, whether he's in it or not. He just is. You look at the stats. I'm sorry. Enough is enough. Like, I know Craig says, you know, when you play in lots of different places, it's hard. And when I go back and look at Kenny Lofton in 11 teams, that's the very definition, (laughs) I guess, of what Craig's always talking about when you play in different cities, how difficult it is to get uh, the fan support or the groundswell from an organization. But man, Jeff Kent and Ryan Sandberg, Kent, I kind of understand. He was a bit of a late bloomer too. He was dealt from the Toronto in that David Cohn trade. So mm-hmm. it took him a while to get going, but Ryan Sandberg was pretty good right away. <laughs> That's one thing. Him and Mattingly, I mean, two of the most iconic players in the 80s who didn't go till rounds 19 and 20. 
I guess we would have to see the scouting report from the scouts that that uh, took a look at him because yeah, it's it's really hard to believe. The only thing I can think with Mattingly is he was smaller. Like he was not the biggest guy in the world, so I don't know if that was the thing they wanted to hang on him. Like he maybe he's not your prototypical looking first baseman in terms of. I size. I have no idea. He he told uh, this spring I was with my son. And uh, and we were just hanging out, and he came over to talk, and he he knows my son plays in the little league, and so he asked how everything was going, and he said uh, to my son, so uh, you know how's little league? My son's like, oh, I'm doing good. He's like, where are you playing? He's playing, you know, second base, playing the outfield, and he's like, but can you hit? And he's like, don't answer, say yes. Doesn't make a difference. <laughs> you gotta say yes, even Always no matter yes. what. You gotta say yes. So like that, and that was you know that was the thing with him too. Is look, he was a really good defender too. But man, the guy was just an incredible hitter. That's the old adage in the acting world when they when your agent calls you up and says, "Hey, can you ride a horse?" Of course I can. Do you know a right. sword fight? Same sure. Thing. You always say yes, and then you go learn if you don't know and figure it out because you got to get that job. Uh, John Smoltz had a job, but he didn't have a job until round twenty-two. One of the great pitchers of our generation, John Smoltz, was drafted by the Tigers in 1985. He ended up with a 69.1 career war. That's not too shabby. Doyle Alexander was the uh, the piece that went back there for John Smoltz. Alexander had a really good finish to that season. He was dominant, a huge part <clears throat> uh, of that team. But uh, look, you know, you go back and you look at the Tigers and you say, wow, what could have been if they had John Smoltz? And, of course, Smoltz joins a rotation where they acquired Greg Maddox and then right. brought up Tom Glavin and Steve Avery, who kind of gets lost in that discussion. But Avery was right there with those guys for the first few years and then subsequently did not have the longevity of the other ones. But John Smoltz, man, and not, not only did he get drafted around 22, but then he got dealt, too. It's kind of like insult to injury, him and Sandberg both. I think I've seen interviews with him that said that that he wasn't really that much of anything when he was growing up. Like he never, like, I don't, I don't, not to say that he didn't think that he'd end up becoming a star, but I remember him, you know, just talking about who he was and it, you know, everything he did wasn't a big deal. It was basically uh, learning from Glavin, learning from Greg Maddox, and then learning, I believe, split finger fastball, if I'm not mistaken, or slider, one of those two pitches. He learned a, a pitch eventually when he got to the big leagues right. with Leo Mazzoni and those guys, and that really, you know, uh, propelled him. with the, Leo Mazzoni. Now, there's a question for you. You know, his work as a pitching coach, does that deserve Hall of Fame recognition? I don't know. They don't really put pitching coaches in the Hall of Fame, do they? So No, they don't. But I kind of wonder, I mean, when do we start, like, recognizing some, you know, great men of baseball? like Don Zimmer and Leo Mazzoni and guys who've had such incredible impacts on so many careers. Not a lot of guys, by the way, John Smoltz uh, being one of them to make an all-star team as a starter and a closer, you know, <laughs> a lot of those guys, yeah, 200 true. wins and a hundred career saves, not too bad. Also in round 22, how about this? Andy Pettit and Jason Bay, Andy Pettit, obviously some very important years for the New York Yankees in those dynasty years. Uh, round 23. How about Roy Oswalt? 1996, 50.1 career war. For his first seven seasons with Houston, he was absolutely electric. Uh, the only people he was behind statistically in those years were Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson. Unfortunately, again, longevity was not his friend. Smaller frame pitcher, but man, that's why he wasn't years. drafted. Yeah, but those first few years of Roy Oswalt were worth the 23rd round pick. I think you'd agree with that. Oh, no, listen, he was a very good pitcher for a long time. But, you know, what happens is if you're not six foot, you don't get scouted right. like some of the other guys. And uh, you know, Oswald, remember when he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when Philadelphia ended up with uh, Oswald and Halliday and Cliff Lee, and uh, they had that amazing uh, Cole Hamels, I think, at the end of that rotation. <laughs> Round 24, Mark Grace, 1985, pretty good. Him and Jorge Posada were taken in the 24th round, two very good players, maybe just Miss Hall of Famers, but guys that were just terrific and very obviously crucial to their franchises. And the best of the rest... My favorite childhood player, Keith Hernandez, in the 42nd round of the draft. Uh, to me, the greatest defensive first baseman. It's not even close, and every metric will tell you the same thing. Incredible career. Did he hit a lot of home runs? No. Did he have a, a career 298 batting average? Yes. Does he have 17 gold gloves? <laughs> like, I mean, come on. He's got 11 gold gloves in 17 years. Pardon me. Like, that. that is just unbelievable. And Mike Piazza, 62nd round, and... People can argue about 60 why second round. That's what it says. 60 seconds. So I guess we're talking like supplemental of supplemental or some, I don't know what this wow. is, but this is from MLB.com. 62 to five. Man. I mean, pretty, pretty crazy there. How about 60 second round to MVP? So there you have it. The greatest uh, steals in MLB draft history.
Yep, no doubt about that. Coming up next, we uh, talk about some potential, speaking of Piazza, future uh, and not future Hall of Famers. Also, a little bit later, we'll have a NASCAR preview coming up with the big race this weekend. Fantasy Sports Today, right here on Sports Grid. We're back in just two minutes. Stay on the grid. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build and optimize lineups for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. In case you missed our show yesterday, Joe Pizza and I went through some potential baseball Hall of Famers that could be inducted in the future from the pitching perspective, and it was really slim pickings. You can go back and watch that on demand on YouTube on our Sports Grid channel. Of course, in the future, there are going to be a few when Clayton Kershaw retires and Max Scherzer retires and probably when Justin Verlander retires as well. But, uh, you know, on the retired side, not a lot. Clemens. Schilling, those two seem to be locks at some point. Uh, you know, CeCe Sabathia, probably. Uh, not as easy as it is to identify the hitters, but I do think that we'll have a nice group of hitters coming up uh, in 2020, uh, coming up early next, or 21, excuse me, early next year. The uh, Veterans Committee, and they've renamed it, I, the Legends Committee, or whatever they've called it right now, they're going to uh, revote. And I would guess that based on the votes that they had a couple of years ago, uh, Richie Allen, Dick Allen, uh, former MVP, will get in the Hall of Fame, and also uh, former American League Rookie of the Year, Tony Oliva, will get in the Hall of Fame as well. I believe those two were just a vote shy, so it wouldn't surprise me to see those guys get in. So there will be a ceremony for sure, including them, and probably including Derek Jeter and Larry Walker and Ted Simmons and the guys who they uh, put in this past year. Yeah, there could be some potential log jams in the next few years, but the other purpose of doing this is kind of reevaluating where we stand with some players. And uh, I tried to sell Craig on a couple different pitchers, but uh, it was no dice. And, and I agree with Craig. I, they're, they're falling short. The Tim Hudson's and Lincecum's and those guys of the world are unfortunately fall short of Hall of Fame status. But let's talk about some of the, uh, the offensive players who are eligible. And not just offensive, but let's talk defense, too. And that's the one thing we were just talking about Keith Hernandez in the last segment and Don Mattingly and, you know, some great defensive players. And I just feel like defense doesn't seem to matter all that much to the voting public for some odd reason. And and I think it should. You play the field for nine innings, you hit four times a game, and when you are the best defensive player at your position and you hit pretty well, too, I think that matters. And I hope Fizkel gets in the Hall of Fame. We've seen Ozzie Smith get in. But the only player who's best metrically uh, described as the number one defensive player at his position that's not in the Hall of Fame is only one. It's Keith Hernandez. And that seems odd just because first base is typically known as a power spot. And that's crazy. Of all time, you're saying? Of all time, he is the best defensive metric first baseman. And he's the only guy. The last guy to get in there who wasn't in was Bill Mazeroski. Uh, and that's, a, a, again, a lot of people will tell you that, you know, he might not necessarily be in there. But again, if he's the best defensive guy metrically, to put him in there, then you have to kind of grade him out as oh, best he, you can. He wasn't it's, voted by the players either. He was, or I, um, but he was voted. He was a veterans committee guy. And speaking of defensive marvels, let's talk about a very complete player, not just with the glove, but with the bat as well. And he's eligible in 2021, and that's Torrey Hunter. He's a nine-time Gold Glove Award winner. Okay, he played in five All-Star games, 19 seasons, mostly with the Twins, but also Angels and Tigers. He has 2,400 hits in his career, 350 home runs, almost 200 stolen bases. So this is a guy that had power and speed, incredible defense, career 277 uh, batting average. And there's only three center fielders, Willie Mays, Ken Griffey Jr., and Andrew Jones, who have won more gold gloves than Torrey Hunter. So I am fearful that Torrey Hunter is going to be one and done on the ballot. 
But when you look at how good of an all-around baseball player Torrey Hunter was, not to mention a great leader of the Twins teams that were very competitive and took the Yankees to the brink many, many times in many a series, I think Torrey Hunter deserves a lot of attention and consideration. And I'll tell you what, the more I dig into Torrey Hunter's numbers, the more I would vote for him for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think it'll take a while, but I think that there's a shot that he will get in, and I wouldn't worry about the first time out. I think that he definitely would get 5%. The question is, is that will he get 15 or 20% to start with and get on that trajectory? Because again, uh, many years ago, they changed it from 15 years to 10 years, and then you're off the ballot. So uh, I think that there's a chance that eventually he does get in. It may take some time. I would not say he's a first or even second ballot Hall of Famer, but in due time, when there's a light year, I feel like he will get in. Now, I also thought the same thing about Jim Edmonds, and I was shocked that he was one and done. I also look at Jim Edmonds as a guy, you look at the numbers and the home runs, and he's hitting 30 bombs and all this, and he was one and done on the ballot. How many hits did Edmonds have? uh, I'll go back and pull that up in the next segment here while you're talking about another player, but we're talking about really strong home run totals. Obviously, if I say who's the best center fielder of that generation, I mean, it's hard not to say Jim Edmonds, or at least in that conversation when you talk about it. 2022 for the Hall of Fame is going to be a potential logjam, too. Now, I don't know how they all built this first one here. It's Prince Fielder, six-time All-Star, great power hitter. Obviously, you know, some of the years in Detroit were not as good as the years in Milwaukee, but he did finish in the NL MVP voting four times in the top four. Uh, look, he's got three silver sluggers. Certainly, you look at it, he's got, a, he's got an All-Star MVP. He's got a lot of those accolades, but I think when you add everything up, it, it, he probably falls short. Would you agree with Prince Fielder falling short yeah, of Hall of Fame? Yeah, okay. I don't think that he would get Now, would you, say the it. Same, would you say the same thing about Ryan Howard? Again, similar kind of profile player. Yep, fell short. Yep. Okay, because Ryan Howard, another guy, too, you look and you go, wow, you have 382 home runs. You know, they'll be on really the ballot good. for a while, and, and, they'll, and I think both Prince Fielder and Ryan Howard will get their 5% or more, and they'll continue on, but okay. I, I, don't, I, don't think of, I don't think that they get in. All right, well, the next guy I think is a lock, and despite any speculation of special vitamins or anything else, 10-time All-Star, beloved in this organization by the fans. You want to talk about organizational support or a fan base support? It doesn't get much better than for Big Poppy for David Ortiz. 20 years for the Twins and Red Sox. Uh, top four in the MVP voting four times. Uh, this was a guy that, you know, big moment after big moment, those Yankee-Red Sox rivalries, the guy who was part of the team that took them over the hump and getting them that 2004 World Series. 541 career home runs. But he's a DH, and we saw what Edgar Martinez had to go through. So I guess my question to you is, does Big Poppy kind of, because he had such a longer career than Edgar Martinez, does he get in on the first ballot, or is this another guy that has to wait? I think he's a second ballot Hall of Famer. I think he'll miss on the first and then get in on the second. That would be my prediction. For some reason, they, they hold these first ballot guys to a different standard than they do the second. I don't think he'll have to wait longer than two years. I would have put him in on the first, but I, don't I was think he'll just going to ask you that if you would put him in. I would, I would but I do not think he will. I think he'll come up like 72, 73%, and then the following year he'll get in. And you can't. You cannot tell the story of that era in those Boston Red Sox teams without Big Poppy. You just can't do it. Incredible postseason, too. 85 career postseason games, 17 home runs, and 61 RBI. It's, that's pretty good in the big spots there. Also, this year, another guy. Very polarizing guy. How about Alex Rodriguez? Three-time MVP, 14-time All-Star. I mean, we can go on and on. 696 home runs. I mean, look, we all know statistically A-Rod is a luck, right? But, but <laughs> there's all these other questions and all these other issues. So would you vote on the first ballot for Alex Rodriguez in 2022? I would not, but eventually he will get in the Hall of Fame. He'll be he'll have to wait like Clemens and Bonds and then the 10th year he'll get in. Maybe 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 things will lighten up and he'll get in on the 7th try or the 8th try, but there's just no way that he gets in the first try. None. Wow. I mean, you know, it's it's just I don't know. He's so beloved now too, like you're saying. He's like broadcasting major league games. He is, but he had he had he, I mean, there's a chance he's worse what if than he's an owner? Bonds. What, well, here's a question, too. Would that be the first guy involved in ownership if he ever did actually go with J-Lo and buy the Mets? Could you imagine, like, they're inducting a guy who's now part of an ownership group of a team? That's Has that ever happened in Major League Baseball besides Jeter, I guess, now? Well, Jeter, yeah. Two guys, right? Back. Wow, that's kind of crazy to think about how, how yeah, different. He's, he's, A-Rod's got to wait. He he broke a lot of rules and, and circumvented rules and and did so many other things on the sides. Spended a year, like— 
He's. I mean, I think he eventually will get in, but I mean, there's. It's gonna. Well, be but your your rule is if you get popped, Craig doesn't want to vote for you. Now he got popped harder than anybody. Longest suspension ever for somebody, right? They for right. drugs and major baseball. So, uh, would you personally ever vote for him? You said no. I would, not on the I, first would, ballot. I, I would not on the first ballot, but I but I would eventually put him in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Why him and not Manny Ramirez? Just curiosity, because you've said no to Manny because you failed the test. Um, yeah, you set yeah, the criteria, so I'm trying to it, understand. It's a it's a fair question. I think that A Rod's numbers are far better than Manny Ramirez's, and that's why. Hmm. They're closer than you think. Not, oh, I mean, obviously, grand so total. A Rod has two hundred more home runs and how many more hits? Uh, so look, I, I know I thousand. Mean, Manny Ramirez is pretty good. <laughs> Manny Ramirez is a pretty. He good was player. really good too, and so was Rafael Palmeiro. All listen, right, listen, it's it's a it's a tough thing to do. Listen, if you watch the movie Screwball, you'll never put. Uh, well, then you will never put. If you would still want to put Alex Rodriguez in the Hall of Fame after watching that, then basically anything goes because the things that that guy went through. To circumvent the rules or insane, oh, it's but crazy. Yeah. insane. But he's yeah. a ve- he is as smart as they come, and this whole reclamation project of his image has worked to an absolute T. I got to give him credit for that. By the way, real quick, Jim Edmonds, because we were talking about it earlier, and I did say I'd pull up those numbers. Three hundred ninety-three career home runs for Jim Edmonds. Yeah, so. more home runs than Hunter, but less hits. So you know, you may listen there. Maybe there, maybe Tory Hunter doesn't get. A, a big percent on the first try, but I have a feeling that he will stay on the ballot. A couple um, guys here are going to be, uh, an, again, Jarrah, two very good all-around players. Good hitters, good defensive players, winning players, leadership players. Would you vote for either of these two? Because I think Jimmy Rollins is a definitive so yes too. for me. I did too, and I looked it up, and he's not. He's not. I, You know, the other day, it was probably a couple of weeks ago when I was just, you know, in a wormhole of Hall of Famers, and I thought to myself, wow, like he definitely has to be in. His numbers are not close. I mean, really? he's got an MVP. And he's got a World Series, but no, they 30, are 30 just... shortstop year for Jimmy Rollins. He good. had some really, he had some really good years. There's certainly a chance that under a Veterans Committee situation, or maybe even a ninth or tenth year, but it's it, it's his numbers are really not as comparable with some of the others. Like Lou Whitaker puts him to shame. Like it's, mm, it's there you it's, go. And, and I like Jimmy Rollins. I'm a fan of him. I, I thought too. when I was gonna look it up, I was gonna see something different. His career just abruptly ended. Like it just. Yeah, well, Lou Whitaker, I think, is, was always a Hall of Fame player, too. That was a that was another no-brainer that just seemed like nobody else wanted to take up the mantle. The share is not a Hall of Famer, so we can move on from that. All right, 2023, Carlos Beltran, statistically, he's a Hall he'll of Famer. He'll wait. He'll get in. He'll have to wait because of the Astros thing. He's going to have to but wait a long he, he time. May have been in, he may have been in on the first shot. He may have been in on the first shot. He would, I, have I been, mean, he would have been the manager of the Mets. Things would be going well for him, potentially. He may have gotten in on, on try one, and now he's going to have to wait for try two or three. But before all these things happen, I think Dave Parker's a name that you mentioned. He's got to be in. Lou Whitaker's got to be in. Richie Allen's got to be in. Oliva's got to be in. Omar Vizquel in two years has got to be in. Scott Rowland has got to get in either next year or the year after that, and then we can you know, start focusing on all these guys. Yeah, look, uh, Adrian Beltre in 2024 is the next lock. And then that year you got names like Adrian Gonzalez, Matt Holiday, Victor Martinez, Joe Maurer, Chase Utley, David Wright, some really close guys. Great That's going to be a fascinating yeah. discussion. Yeah. And then if Ichiro hadn't come back to play last year for two games, we'd be talking about him. But he decided he wanted to play two games for whatever reason to uh, to end his career. I, I guess I kind of understand it, him playing uh, in that Japan series. All right, so that'll do it for uh, this first hour of the show. Coming up next, it's time for us to head on over to the FanDuel Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook and take a look at some odds for 2020 on the NFL side. This is FST on SportsGrid. Craig Mish, Joe Pizzapia, we're back in just a couple of minutes. Also a little bit later, a NASCAR preview as well. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. 